I just want to encourage you. I, I said something, I think, in the beginning last night, and I just want to say it again. Um, and it was really just the, the, the entirety of the message last night in just kind of three statements to lean in close, um, to watch and pray, and don't sleep on this. Don't sleep on the hour of salvation. Um, you need to step into each moment anticipating what God is going to do a year from now, five years from now, ten years from now. Um, you need to be all in more than ever before. Uh, no time down when it comes to anticipating the greatness of what God wants to do in you. Uh, I got in the car. I'm, I'm staying with my parents. Um, they, they live in North Chile. And, um, and so I'm, I get on the road. I was just kind of reflecting just on my own personal journey coming out of Elam, not anticipating just the wonderful things God has been kind enough to, to expose me to and to, to, and to lead me into. And, um, and a young man who I've mentored over the years um, some, of, some of you may know him if you're into Christian rap. His name is Andy Minio, um, and uh, he calls me. He actually tried to FaceTime me, but I was driving, and um, so we, we get on the phone and talk like at least once a month. I've, he's a spiritual son, and, um, and, and so Andy calls me. He's like, Dave, like, where are you at, bro? And uh, I was like, oh, man, it's just, I'm just leaving Elam, and he was like, ooh, the old stomping grounds, yeah, so cool, you know, and then he was like, man, do you remember when, like, you were managing me, and, um, and we were just getting started, and you brought me out, out there to, like, perform, and I was like, man, that was, that was a long time ago, I said, uh, and I said, look, look what God has done, and, you know, I don't know if anybody, um, this young man, he's a rapper, and he's pretty global, and uh, he's, he was just en route flying somewhere, I don't know, shooting a music video. And he wanted me to just kind of look at some footage and stuff like that. And, um, and, and it's pretty cool. He still values my opinion creatively. Um, but we just got to talking about how we never expected to be where God has us now. And we were just starting to just reflect on the importance of our yes to God. I'm so glad that we said yes you know, I, I said to him, man, I'm so glad you and I said yes 15 years ago um, when we, it wasn't all clear. Um, and just a little bit of the backstory on that. I was in transition in my life. I had spent 10 years on the road with Nikki Cruz, um, who is uh, kind of the, the, as many would say, the, the urban uh, Billy Graham of our time. Um, a great evangelist, um, and this young man, Nikki Cruz, well, he's not young now, but Nikki Cruz was a notorious uh, warlord of a gang called the Mau Mau's uh, in the late 50s in New York City, a young Puerto Rican kid who was very troubled. Uh, both of his parents were in witchcraft, Santeria. Um, his father was a warlock. Um, his mother was one of the greatest notorious witches of her time in Puerto Rico. Um, she had declared her son to be the son of the devil, and she beat Nicky Cruz as a child. Uh, by the time he was three, four, five, six, seven years old, he was used to just getting beat uh, repeatedly by his mother and told, you are the son of the devil. By the time he was 15 years old, he was in such a mess. He was so violent that they just put him on a plane uh, and flew him from Puerto Rico to New York City. And in New York City, he attempted to um, go to school. Um, but he was just so violent that he walked away from the school program and hit the streets. He was raised up rather quickly um, in the late uh, 50s to become the warlord of a notorious gang, the Mau Mau's, which I said, um, which was often at war with another uh, gang called the Bishops who were running uh, the Bronx and Harlem. And, um, and, and the, the Mau Mau's, who were predominantly Puerto Rican, were running the Lower East Side and, and Brooklyn and Fort Greene. Um, and there was this territorial war. And then there was this uh, young uh, white 
uh, brother uh, named David Wilkerson, who also in the late 50s uh, was pastoring a very small church. He was 27 years old, and uh, it was in a small town called Puxatawney, Pennsylvania. Try saying Puxatawney five times real quick. No, don't do that this morning. Um, and, uh, and he was just very, he was very comfortable he was very comfortable uh, pastoring his church uh, in Puxatawney, Pennsylvania. But he opened up Time Magazine one night and opened it up to a particular page. He was 27. He had stopped watching television. He felt like he needed to kind of unplug from media. Unplugging from your phone and unplugging from television from time to time is a good thing um, to give more time for that one hour that Jesus asked for. Remember that last night? And uh, he opened up Time Magazine, and there was this article about seven gang members that were on trial in New York City because they had killed a young kid named Michael Farmer. And, um, and he was a, a young kid who had a disease and they saw him. He was crippled and they ran up on him and they beat him um, and they killed him. And so that, art, that, that beating, that murder had made it to Time Magazine back in 1957, uh, 58. Um, uh, David Wilkerson began to cry um, he could not shake the Holy Spirit saying to him, you're to go to New York City, which was four hours away. He'd never been to New York City um, in his life. So he gets in his car the next morning, um, and he drives to New York City and starts walking around looking for gang members to tell them about Jesus Christ. Um, he didn't fully understand it, but he had a kingdom perspective. And a kingdom perspective changes everything. But that kingdom perspective is not cultivated by you simply just uh, going about your business. Business. Uh, kingdom perspective is shaped in prayer. And so this is why it's important that you live a life attentive to God and, and, and understanding, knowing that it's in your prayer time. It's in your prayer time that God shapes your perspective. Prayer gives you a kingdom perspective. And so um, he, 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 he's driving around. He has no idea what he's doing. He makes his way to the trial. In New York City and so he just kind of walks into the trial and he's got his Bible in his hand he's wearing a long trench coat and he waves his Bible in his hand he goes I'm here to help the gangs and, um, and so of course NYPD was like you're absolutely out of your mind they dragged him out of the courtroom told him get out of here to problem there was a young journalist um, and that young journalist saw and thought it was very funny actually so the young journalist said hey what's your name he said D David David Wilkerson he said hey Davey you, you proud of that Bible you got in your hand and Davey didn't know what was going on he said yeah I'm super proud of this Bible and the journalist said well hold it up in the air bro and so David Wilkerson held the Bible up in the air and the journalist pulled up his camera and snapped the picture. Um, he made it, that picture made it into the front cover of the newspaper that next day. The, uh, the day that he snapped that picture, David Wilkerson got back in his car and drove back to Puxatani. He felt defeated. He felt like he didn't have an understanding of what was going on. Um, he was all caught up in his feelings, but he still couldn't shake faith and he still couldn't shake the spirit of God that was saying, no, you're to go back the next morning. You go back tomorrow morning. So he drove four hours that night and was just kind of sitting in his home. He gets back in his car, drives another four hours and parks down somewhere in Brooklyn. He goes running into this project building. Uh, he comes. He has no idea. He's just like, Holy Spirit, just leave me. He starts walking up the stairwell, and he runs into a young kid named Angelo. Angelo's coming down the stairs. David Wilkerson's going up the stairs. He just kind of had this idea, maybe if I go into the building and knock on doors, I might find out where the parents are for these gang members. He bumps into Angelo, and Angelo turns around, and Angelo's like, are you Davey? And David Wilkerson goes, yeah, how do you know? He goes, your, your face is in the newspaper this morning. He's like, my name's Angelo. Yo, I'm so glad you're here in New York City to help with the gangs. And David Wilkerson, I said, well, I, I have no clue. Well, I just, I just feel like God's called me to this. And Angelo goes, well, I'm a part of that gang that killed Michael Farmer. But I wasn't there that day because I had a toothache and I went to the dentist. I'm so glad I wasn't there. But I'll help you, Davey. I'll take you all around to meet the families. And it wasn't Nikki Cruz that became his first best friend in the streets of New York. It was a kid named Angelo. And Angelo got in a car that day and drove around and introduced Davey Wilkerson to all the families of the gang members that were in jail. And then for the next three weeks, 
David Wilkerson would go back to Puxitani at the end of the day, come back in the morning and drive around with Angelo and be introduced to all of the gangs. Until one day he was invited into a gang meeting with the bishops and the Mau Mau's. And there was this young kid named Nicky Cruz. And he walked up to that kid, Nicky Cruz, and said, hey, I'm just here to meet you. And before Davey Wilkerson could finish what he was saying, that young kid, Nicky Cruz, slapped him in the face and said, get out of here. He said, don't ever come to me again. He goes, you come near me one more time, I will cut you with this switchblade. And David Wilkerson, filled with the Holy Spirit, said, you can cut me into a thousand pieces, but every piece will still cry out to you, Jesus loves you. Nicky Cruz had a real hard time with that. Anyway, man, David Wilkerson goes back to Puxatani and he kept coming back and the Holy Spirit stirred him and said, I got to reach this kid, Nicky Cruz, and he'd keep coming back. And sometimes David Wilkerson was really radical. He'd show up, he'd wake up out of bed, travel four hours through the night and come to Nicky Cruz's studio basement apartment down in the hood and would knock on this studio apartment in the hood in the basement. And Nicky Cruz would open the door and David Wilkerson would go, I'm so sorry to interrupt. I just want you to know once again, um, that uh, uh, Jesus loves you. And that young kid would spiral out of control and he would punch and beat and slap and kick him. He would leave David Wilkerson bruised up as he'd get back in his car. I'm about to explain to you why I know all these things. He'd drive back in his car. He'd keep coming back. And then eventually he was like, man, maybe I should put together a crusade. And so David Wilkerson puts together a five-night crusade to reach the gangs. Well, what many people don't really know is, is that the first four nights, nobody showed up. It was considered a flop in New York City. While he was still showing up for four straight nights, Nikki Cruz was having meetings with the gangs like, this, this preacher won't go away, but we're going to make sure he goes away finally. And so David Wilkerson was planning in accordance to the Spirit. And he was like, maybe we should call it quits. But the Holy Spirit said, no, you keep going. There's a kingdom perspective. In the natural, it looks hopeless. But with the kingdom perspective, you see beyond what it looks like in the natural. So he kept praying and believing. He said, we're going to do this fifth night. Meanwhile, meanwhile, Nikki Cruz told all the gang members, let's show up on this fifth night. Last man standing gets that block, meaning this. In street terms, they were negotiating, basically, that when the preacher was done preaching, there was going to be an all-out gang war in the auditorium. They were coming in with switchblades, knives, bats, chains. The only thing that they agreed on on that night was no zip guns. Zip guns were homemade guns that they would make in the streets. Nikki Cruz said no zip guns that night. They went back and forth. They, want, they wanted to bring zip guns. I'll tell you a particular fact. The bishops, which was a black gang coming out of Harlem in the Bronx, were like, zip guns, please. Because they hated the way the Mau Mau's and the Puerto Rican gangs and the Dominican gangs were quick with the switchblade and a knife. And the black gangs didn't want to get cut. So they were like, we either knuckle up and fist fight or we're coming in with zip guns. They said no zip guns. So in the balance, they decided bats and chains. And so on this particular night, on the fifth night, here is Nikki Cruz standing up there, coming in with the whole Mau Mau gang. Mau Mau's coming in on one side, bishops coming in on one side, chaplains coming in on another side, another two, three gangs. David Wilkerson is like, oh, glory to God. Man, look at this. The place is packed. He didn't know that they were all carrying weapons that night. And David Wilkerson began to preach Jesus. There's power in the name of Jesus. There's, there was power in the name of Jesus in 1957. There's still power in the name of Jesus for you to rise up, to have a kingdom perspective, and to know that it's the Holy Spirit that wants to indwell you and use your voice for the glory of his name. David Wilkerson preached Jesus and only Jesus. You're living in a time where they want you to change up your message. Dial it down a little bit. Take it easy. You don't want to ruffle any feathers. Hey, I'm sorry, but the gospel is going to be offensive sometimes. 
It's not going to be the cool thing for you to say. But don't you dare change this gospel narrative. You stay true to Jesus Christ. The cross. The finished work of the cross. And that's all David Wilkinson did that night. Jesus loves you. Just kept saying it. There's forgiveness of sins. There's healing at the cross. His blood still has the power to wash you and to cleanse you and to make you whole. It was an extraordinary moment because most of the gangs that night, most of the gangs that night were still ready to fight. The terminology terminology back then was rumble. We're still rumbling. And there was a rumbling, but there was a Holy Ghost rumbling that was happening, Dr. Fred. It was a Holy Ghost rumble that was happening. And so he preached, and then he did an altar call. He said, anybody who wants to come up here to receive Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, one or two gang members walked up. Nicky Cruz wasn't the first. We've created that in movies and other things. He wasn't the first. He wasn't sure. But a couple of gang members started to come up. Some gang members started to walk out. And all of a sudden, slowly, Nicky Cruz walked up. He walked up. He said, he said, Davey, is this for real? I need to know if this is for real. David Wilkins said, oh, this is for real. And what you feel right now is the spirit of God. Nicky Cruz gave his life to the Lord that night. They went downstairs into a basement to give them Bibles and to follow up. Do you know that almost all of those gang members in that moment actually walked away? I'll give you another interesting fact. A bunch of girls that were part of the gangs came downstairs and said, if you still want this, you need to leave now. And girls and guys walked out. There was a few other boys, though, that stayed. Nikki Cruz, another kid named Israel, and Angelo was there. The next day, they had to get Nikki Cruz out of town. So David Wilkinson had told Nikki Cruz where to meet. And so they met the next day. He had told Israel the same thing too, who was the president of the Mau Mau's. Israel got confused and was standing on the wrong block. David Wilkinson showed up that next day and it was only Nikki Cruz on the block. You know where they were planning to go? Elmira, New York. He had a connection, David Wilkerson, in Elmira. I felt like sharing testimony this morning because it kind of connects. You see, when you say yes to God, there's a kingdom ripple effect that happens, and I'm about to tie it all together. Israel stood on another block for hours. David Wilkerson and Nikki stood on the block for hours waiting for Israel. They couldn't wait any longer. They got in the car and they left. Israel was so upset and so offended that he went back to the Mau Mau's that night and he got arrested. They went upstate to Elmira. By the time they got to Elmira, David Wilkerson got Nikki Cruz plugged into the discipleship program in Elmira in a great ministry there and then drove back down to the jail where Israel was. It was like, what happened? Israel was like, well, what happened to you? I was waiting for hours. And then they found out that it was the wrong street. And it took some time for them to finally get Israel out of jail. But it was, it was a tough go for him. Nikki Cruz got discipled in Elmira. And then he didn't come back to New York City for a while. He uh, flew out to California, got plugged into a Bible school out in California. And then after about four years, came back to New York City and helped launch Teen Challenge with David Wilkerson. And Teen Challenge was launched in Brooklyn. And that place still stands today in Brooklyn, the main Teen Challenge house. And then after a while, Nicky Cruz packed up and felt like it was time for him to continue to just grow and and hear and understand what God wanted him to do. And so after his years at Teen Challenge, he moved to Colorado Springs. He moves to Colorado Springs and gets set up there. And he's there in the 80s and um, just traveling and preaching. And he comes out with a little movie called The Cross and the Switchblade. And that has sort of a global impact. And and God's doing great things and growing the ministry. And then David Wilkerson, uh, he's he's praying. He's seeking God. And the Holy Spirit says to him, you're supposed to plant a church 
in, in, uh, in, in Midtown in, in, in Times Square. And he's like, well, that's, that's crazy. And at the time, there was a, a movie called, uh, a play called Jesus Christ Superstar. And, um, and it was in the largest, largest theater um, in Midtown Manhattan, Mark Hellinger Theater. And, uh, and, the, and the play flops. And David Wilkerson walks over to the Mark Hellinger Theater and is like, hey, uh, I want to buy this theater. And they laugh him out of the business meeting. And, um, and he keeps coming back. Well, he's in that theater now, the largest theater on Broadway. While he purchases this theater, there's this kid named David Ham who's growing up in Virginia. I'm enamored with New York City. I have this affinity. Uh, I'm going to school in a small little high school in the 80s, 90s, and um, I have this soccer coach. His name is Mark Johansson. And he's mentoring me, and he's loving on me, and he's like, yeah, you, you need to you need to go, you need to see my dad. And, um, and then my dad's like, you need to see this man, Paul Johansson. I'm like, I'm not going to Bible school. I'm going to be a professional soccer player. And they're like, you need a break from that. You should go on a missions trip to New York City. At 16, I take a missions trip to New York City. And I meet Paul Johansson. And I meet Robert Johansson. And I meet Peter Deruta for the first time. And I come into New York City. I'm blown away. I love every minute of just what I'm doing on this little missions trip. Man, I, and I'm just like, man, this is where I want to be. And I could feel it. I could feel something stirring. And so for like the next three years, finishing out my sophomore year, junior year, and senior year, I keep coming back to NYSEM. And uh, I'm still thinking, oh, man, I'm going to be a professional soccer player. I was pretty good because I did some time on the mission field with my parents in Nigeria, West Africa. So I played like a Nigerian. I thought like a Nigerian on the soccer field. Anyway, fast forward, I ended up getting an opportunity to get a scholarship to play soccer at Liberty University. Division one, come on, somebody. That was like amazing to me. Oh, but I get to Liberty University, I get caught up with the things of this world, like a typical PK, always trying to make, your, make up your own testimony. Ah, oh, what a mess it was. It was a waste of time. Me trying to explore. My curiosity got me in trouble. I almost died coming from a club one night. 3 a.m. in the morning, severe car accident. That night the Lord woke me up. That night the Lord said, no, no, no. You need to get back on track. I've called you for something greater. I got stirred. I was completely stirred. And so I knew I needed to walk away from Liberty University. I was dating this incredible girl. And um, I said to her, man, I said, and she was from Manhattan. I said, I, I, I need to leave. I need to leave Liberty. I said, I feel like the Holy Spirit's calling me to a small Bible school, Elam Bible Institute. My wife was like, he's called you, but he hasn't called me. I'm staying right here. I said, all right, cool. And so, you know, I was pretty torn. By the summer, that summer, she said, I know it. I'm supposed to go to this Bible school too. I've heard of it. And so we both packed up our things, and we came to, to Elam. Um, and that, that was in 1995. It was pretty cool. Uh, yeah, I was like, man, yeah, I'm going to come in here. I'm going to do my thing. You know, I'm a pastor's kid. I've got these creative ideas. I'm pretty excited. I got my girl at my side, too. You know, so we've been dating for a year. You know, some of you may know the guy, Stacy Klein. <laughs> Brother Stacy calls us into his office. Me and my girl, we sitting there. Brother Stacy's like, we're so glad you're here. We really are. You know, as you take this journey, we want to give you a fresh start. And it begins by you and your girlfriend having some time apart. I was like, what? Wait, you mean like, like you breaking us up right now? I don't know how it flows now these days. But back then, nah, you know, that first year you weren't dating. And um, I was like, no, nah, that's not going to work. And I, I went and I stormed into Brother Paul's office. I was like, yo, I mean, we've been dating for a year. I'm good. You, you know, we, I, I've been working on my boundaries. And he was like, oh, David, David, David. You know how Brother Paul says your name at least three times? If he says your name three times, that means he loves you. Oh, David, David, David. 
No, 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 you, you, no, no. you and Tara need to go. You need, to, you need some time apart. You know, the Lord wants, David, David, the Lord wants to speak to you. He wants to speak to Tara. And, uh, and at 19 years old, um, Stacey Klein and Paul Johansson began to pour into our lives in a very deep way. And my wife did a one-year program, and, and I did a two-year program. Um, and, uh, you know, and the, the Lord was just dealing with my heart. Uh, in the first year of my time at Elam, oh, man, I was all in. I was in um, these youth prisons called Industry in Owaka, and, and I was doing all types of creative things and, and always developing this type of music projects and theatrical projects. And we weren't doing film by then, but I was forever creating something on this stage and doing all types of cool things. And I told Dr. Fred, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, that, that Brother Dick gave me the green light to, like, start a gospel choir, you know, like. Uh, and 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 we were we we were we were pretty pretty excited about Matt Ramon. Do you guys remember that? You know, Lisa, you remember that? And uh, and I and and I had come from a black Pentecostal church, but I had everybody like in complete uniform. We were all in the back. We came marching. We came marching right on into the to the beat and everything like a good old traditional gospel choir. Man, I thought I was somebody. I I, I thought I was helping God out do something extraordinary here at the tab. Little did I know, uh, uh, Brother Paul was kind enough to let me do my thing for the first year. I showed up back the second year to be like, man, I'll, I, if, if they have no idea what I'm about to create and develop this second year. And I went over to the main building. I don't know how it is now, but I, you know, back then it would be all written out on the, the, on the board, on the little cork board. It, it would show you where your outstations were and where you were involved. And, and so I was expecting I was going to see my name again as the president of the urban prayer group as the director of the first ever gospel choir of Elam and uh, as the as the director of the drama and so I came to check out as as the creative director for the youth prisons at industry in Oaka and I was right over there by the old cafeteria and I walked up on that board that first week um, of my second year and my name was not there for the gospel choir and my name was not there for the drama ministry and my name was not there for industry in Oaka and my name was not there for the urban prayer group and there was just one other piece of paper that was there it was for the senior citizens autistic community in downtown Rochester. I don't know if you remember it, but there, there, was a, there was a community that Elam was connected to for senior citizens that were on the spectrum and had disabilities. My name was right there at the top of the list. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> I went right back into Brother Paul's office like, something's wrong here. Y'all put me, y'all got my name on the wrong ministry. Listen, that, that's, that's, that, that's not my story. That's, that's, that's not my narrative. Ah, oh, David, David, David. <laughs> you see, that's the problem. It's not your story. It's God's story. Your life belongs to him. You see, when you have a kingdom perspective... You yield to the leading of the Holy Spirit. When you pray and that kingdom perspective is cultivated within you, the Holy Spirit stirs you and brings you to a place where you will say yes to wherever God wants to take you. And sometimes what God calls you into is not comfortable. I know I only got like maybe two minutes here, right? What's my time? Hey, somebody. Not that I'm, I'm going to go all the way there. I'm sorry. But listen, listen. I was struggling that second year. By the way, my girlfriend, who is now my beautiful wife of 23 years, listen, she didn't come back with me. Oh, amen. She didn't come back with me that second year. I was like, I don't got my girl at my side. I don't, I'm not in the ministries that I like. And they're not even letting me go to Nisum. Brother Paul didn't let me go to Nisum that second year. 
because he already knew my heart for New York City. And they, they knew that I needed to get back on the potter's wheel and God needed to break me and reshape my thinking and reshape my heart. And so there I was, there I was at this outstation once a week for an entire semester. I may have done it for two semesters. I barely remember. But what I do remember, what I do remember was still taking it upon myself to prove my worth and my value. So I would go every week in this community of senior citizens on the spectrum. And I began to teach them a creative drama that I had worked out for them to do at a very large Lutheran church in downtown Rochester. This is wild. But sometimes things can get wild when you're operating in your own flesh, thinking that you're doing something for the Lord. So I had planned that I was going to put together this big presentation for those that are on the spectrum to be able to see that they are valuable. There were some good intentions there, but my motives were wrong. And this is how God exposed me. For an entire year, I was teaching them Noah's Ark. And I was teaching the little Noah's Arky Ark song, the one that you would do in children's ministry. Okay, y'all too young to remember. They're laughing. They know those little things. And I went out and we bought like all the little animal props, like the ears and the elephant and all of that stuff. And I was going to portray what it looked like to come to Noah's Ark. And I was going to have them coming down different aisles and everything like that, singing a little melody about Noah's Ark. And I was the narrator and the MC, and I had it all planned out. Man, I was, I was flowing for the whole year. And yet I was... I was still doing like the different things that, that I, was, I had to do of service to clean up and, and take care of them and stuff. But I had this other hidden agenda to kind of prove that I can do things on a, on a grand scale. Well, that day came. And hundreds came to this Lutheran church. Families from these precious souls. And it was full. Downtown Rochester somewhere. And we had all of the pieces we had on. We had, it was about, I don't know, we were working with about 12 different people. And we put the little pieces like on them and everything like that. And I noticed that that Sunday morning that they were super nervous. And so I got up there and I began to narrate, say, hey, greetings, good, good morning, everyone. Well, today we want to give you a demonstration, a beautiful picture of Noah's Ark. And this special community are going to get up and they're going to show you what it looks like to be welcomed into God's presence and his promises. They cued music in the back. And I said, okay, let's go. Do you know? That a fear came upon them. You might chuckle because it's actually funny. But the joke's on me. But they were not ready to do something publicly. They all got up and started running in the opposite direction out of the church. Like children crying, embarrassed. No, no, no. And there I stood. Like this, wide-eyed with my mouth open, like what just happened? They all ran out, ran straight out the doors and right back into the 15-passenger vans. And all these people are looking at me like, really? And I'm standing there in front of people going, what just happened? And God spoke very clear to me in that moment. What happened was, it was all about you. And so how about you just go ahead and stand there because it was a you show and it really wasn't a display of what I had for them. And it was a very humbling moment for me realizing at that moment that if ever I was going to do anything, I have to make sure it's for the glory of King Jesus that day shifted my perspective, a kingdom perspective, knowing that he always gets the glory. Not me. He gets the glory. By the end of that second year, I think I was talking to Lisa about it earlier. 
Brother Paul was like, you're done now. I need you to go on and get your bachelor's degree. And I, said, I said, it's Brother Paul who didn't get me into that third year to get my prophetic word at the end. He sent me to Roberts Wesleyan College. And Brother Paul said, I need you to, I need you to get your degree. I went. You know, he's, he's, he, was, he, was a, he was a mentor to me. He's still a mentor to me all these years. So I go to Roberts Wesleyan. Oh, man. And talk about redemption and God's grace. You know, remember that scholarship I was supposed to have at Liberty University, but I blew it. I lost it. I failed. I was a big embarrassment. I skipped that whole story. But I came to Roberts Wesley, and the Lord brought it all back. And there I was with the soccer ball at my feet. And I came on in just as a walk-on and tried out. Coach brings me into the office and gives me a partial scholarship because D2, Roberts Wesley, doesn't give full rides. And they gave me a partial scholarship. But the Lord had worked out all of this pride in me. And so there I was. I, was, I had a partial scholarship at Roberts Thomas Wesleyan, and then I was washing dishes to pay the rest, and I was a mail courier, and I was running around just downtown Rochester and dropping off mail, and I did two years at Roberts Wesleyan, and I was praying and seeking God, and the Lord just, it was still just stirring my heart for New York City, and then I remember I graduated, I asked my, my girlfriend to marry me, she said yes, I'm feeling good, I drove over back here to Elam and walked right into Brother Paul's office, I said, I did what you told me to do, I still, I still sense God calling me to New York City, I said, I got, I got my my bachelor's degree. He said, good. You want to go to New York City? I'm going to send you to New York City. I'm calling my twin brother right now. Before I could even get on the road, he calls Brother Robert Johansson. He goes, I've got your youth pastor for you, your first ever full-time youth pastor. And just like that, boom, the Lord has me heading to New York City to be a youth pastor. I have no clue what I'm doing, but I'm, I'm excited. I'm pumped, and I just want to hear from the Lord. I get to Long Island City in Queens. That's where Evangel Church is. My roots are in there too. And, um, and I get there and Robert Johansson comes. I, I, I'm super excited. You know, I have plenty of blazers, plenty of ties because back then we was getting dressed up at Elam. I showed up. This is, this is not an exaggeration. I showed up at Pastor Robert Johansson's office. I'm feeling good. I got a suit. I'm about to create an awakening in Long Island City. And Pastor Robert Johansson goes, oh, David, David, David. It's so, it's, it's so, good, to, it's so good to see you. So good to see you. I know my brother. I know my brother. He said, yes, we need a youth pastor. We need a youth pastor. But right now we're in the middle of a major construction job. And uh, actually I need, I need a another construction worker, at least for the next four to six months. And without hesitation, suddenly I began to recall every day experienced here. Suddenly I was back in front of those people in that Lutheran church. Not my will, but your will be done, oh God. And I said to Pastor Robert Jansen, yes, yes. I didn't barely even know the subway stations. I got back in my car, went home, got out of my suit, put on my old Timberland boots and some old clothes, and I started construction for the next four months. For the next four months. Through the summer, I'm doing construction. Pastor Johansson calls me and, David, 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 hey, listen, listen, we're not quite ready to have you as a youth pastor, but we're flexible, we're flexible as the Lord leads, as the Lord leads. I know you need to still make a little bit more money to get married, so as the Lord leads, I said, yes, sir. And he said, okay, well, I'm trusting, I'm believing, I'm praying. I walk out of his office. I'm praying. I'm like, Lord God, what are you doing? I'm not, but my, my, my focus is on you and my eyes on you. I get a call from an old theater director that I had worked with in Virginia. Hey, David, how you doing, man? Hey, listen, I'm in New York City, and um, man, it's, it's been a while. Hey, I want you um, to consider something. I, I don't know what's going on. I heard you were here. I heard you're in Queens. Would you consider something? Would you come in and audition for me? I was like, audition for you? I said, man, I haven't really done any serious acting in a while. I've been through Bible school, Roberts Wesley, I don't know. And I'm here at this church. God bless you. And, and he's like, oh, but listen, you, you need to hear. I've partnered with Nikki Cruz, he's back in New York City, and he wants to do a stage play about his life. I said, The Cross and the Switchblade? He said, yeah, The Cross and the Switchblade and Run, Baby, Run, which is his book, his, his book and his, his side of the story. I said, I'll come audition, sure. Anyway, I come and I audition, and I'm auditioning for the warlord of the bishops, 
the primary antagonist to Nikki Cruz's character. Well, I audition, I get a call back, I audition again. He is the director, stage manager, costume director, producer, executive producer. Nikki Cruz, they're all in there. And they like me. And I get casted. And that begins a two-year journey touring with Nikki Cruz himself as an actor. And while I'm there as an actor, and so in the balance, the Lord does end up raising me as a youth pastor at Evangel. And in between seasons of being a youth pastor at Evangel, I'm touring with Nikki Cruz as an actor. And then while I'm on the road with Nikki Cruz, specifically, I was in Milwaukee. And I'll never forget the first time. We're staying in nice hotels. We're training nine to five for the stage and learning all these stage techniques. It was, it was very high-end professional. But I'll never forget, Nikki Cruz comes to me and goes, he had a, an odd accent. He goes, Davy, Davy, Davy. That's what he would call me. Davy, I want you to come to the streets and see what I do on the streets. And I go out to the streets for the first time to hang out with him. Apparently, what I didn't know, there was street ministry that was going on while we were preparing for the play. I stepped out into the streets, and there was this really unique music group that was put together. Excuse me. And they were doing hip-hop music and little dance. And they would draw a crowd, and hundreds would gather. And then someone would share the gospel and just preach Jesus in five minutes. And then hundreds would say yes to Jesus. And then he, Nikki Cruz comes and stands beside me and goes, if you stay with me, I'll train you and teach you how to reach souls. He goes, it's not the play. This is the heart of God here. Well, anyway, I finished touring with Nikki Cruz as an actor for two years. When the tour ended, I was brought into his office and asked to be his director of evangelism. That began another 10-year journey on the road with Nikki Cruz, which is the reason why I'm able to tell you very personal, intimate stories and encounters that Nikki Cruz had with David Wilkerson. After 10 years of traveling with Nikki Cruz, I'm introduced to David Wilkerson and a man named Carter Conlon. And as I'm now kind of in between finishing up my years with Nikki Cruz, I'm asked to come to Times Square Church and to be an associate pastor. And it was at Times Square Church I spent 14 years under Pastor Carter Conlon, serving him as an evangelist, as a teacher. He said to me, if you're going to catch the fish, I need you to clean the fish. And so for eight years of my life, I preached at one o'clock services, three o'clock services, and preached almost every six o'clock service. As well as doing all of that, then I was asked to launch our creative department. I said, all right, what do you want me to do? He said, well, the 30th anniversary of the cross and the switchblade is coming up. Would you be willing to write and direct the stage play, the musical for the cross and the switchblade? Suddenly, I remembered being under a tent at 11 years old in Newport News, Virginia, where many of you may not know. I I got a couple of my Hampton Roads people around here. We were talking the other night. I remembered at 11 years old watching the cross and the switchblade under a tent. And I remember at 11 years old, I couldn't shake why it had stirred my heart. And suddenly I realized God was setting me up for his purpose. And there I was on the largest stage on Broadway, directing and producing a play that was only scheduled to run for one week. But because the play by the seventh night ended up becoming standing room only, In a theater that holds over 2,000 people, we had to run the show for two months as hundreds, if not thousands, received Christ night after night after night after night after night. You know what I would do at the end of every night? Of that show, 
I would be the last one in there sweeping the stage, mopping floors. Very often, I didn't like coming out. I wanted to stay in the shadows because night after night, I remembered what God did to me here, where he broke me to understand that it's not my will, but his will be done. I shy away from the light. I really do. Because he's brought me from a mighty long ways, and man, this flesh is so jacked up. It really is. He'll fail us every time. So I've learned, Lord God, keep me at the foot of the cross. Keep me in your presence. I had scripture. I had study. It's all here. But as I got up here, I was like, Holy Spirit said, no, tell them your journey. Save that for tonight. Don't worry, we're going to get back in the word tonight. We're going to lean in close. We can't do this without the word. But I'm going to tell you something. It's no longer I that live, but Christ, Christ crucified who lives inside of me. And so I've learned over the years, all things for the glory of his name. I'll close with this so that you understand why I'm where I'm at now. By the time Pastor Carter Conlon, who also has become a mentor, spiritual father, he finished his season. Oh, and by the way, every step that I've taken, Brother Paul Johansson still signs off on it. Every transition. My years coming out of evangelism, working with Nikki Cruz for 12 years, Brother Paul said, David, 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 it's time. I'll tell my brother you got to go. I finished up my years with Nikki Cruz. I got called in Times Square Church. Before I said yes, I called. I'll call two people. I'll call my dad. I'll call Brother Paul, and I'll make sure my wife signs off. I said, Brother Paul, Times Square Church wants me. I think they want me for a long time. Ah, oh, David, 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 you're ready. You're ready. Go, go, go. In 20, 2021, I was filming my third movie for Times Square Church. At this particular juncture, my role was to actually build an entire film department for Times Square Church. I was comfortable. I had the freedom to travel all over the globe. I'd cultivated relationships because of my position and just simply the grace of God in my time at Times Square Church. I was developing new projects for theater. Listen, we're a small community, your family. I had just been asked in the summer of 2021, I don't know if any of you are familiar with C.C. Winant, Anybody know who C.C. Winant is? I was, I was asked in the summer of 2021, would you consider uh, flying out to Nashville, sitting down with C.C. Winant and going over just a few things that she'd like to do. She'd like to produce her first ever gospel play. And you've been asked to write and produce that gospel play for C.C. Winant. I could go down a long list of people who I've had the privilege of being able to work with. But I was filming this project, this, this, this movie in Queensbridge Projects, not far from where I was at Evangel Church in Long Island City back in 1998, 1999. And I'm filming this movie and we'd wrapped this scene that we had done in the park. And, on the, and the team were walking away and, um, and, and, and there's a lady on the bench. Uh, she's just sitting in the park bench and she's on the phone. She's pretty erratic and she's just kind of She's going off and she's kind of fussing and the team's going and the Holy Spirit says, Holy Spirit says, go to her and ask how you can pray for her. And I'm like, oh man, Lord, I just, right now I got the whole team. We need to get back to Times Square Church, cross the bridge, get back to Manhattan. And the Holy Spirit said, don't shake this away. Do what I've told you to do. And so I walked over. I said, hey team, go, go ahead and go back to the vans. I'll catch up with you. And I walked over to this young lady who was on the bench and she was going off on somebody. I said, pardon me, excuse me. I said, listen, um, my name's David. I said, uh, this might sound weird to you. Can I pray for you? And she looked at her phone, looked at me. And she said, let me call you back. And she put the phone in her pocket. And she said, well, just pray. So she said, well, just pray. 
And the Holy Spirit began to give me certain words and reveal certain things about her life. And as I began to pray, just about 30 seconds in, she starts to wail and cry hysterically. By the time I finished praying, she's crying hysterically. She's hugging me. And I'm like, oh, okay, why are you, you good? She was like, you just prayed everything that's going on in my life. How do you know? I said, no, it's not me. I said, it's the spirit of God that, that compelled me to come to you and to remind you that you're loved, deeply loved. And she said, I know I'm supposed to give my life to Jesus. I know. And I helped her get, I just understand and, and, and understand who Jesus was and prayed her through again, that prayer of salvation. And what happened as I walked away was the turning point. As I'm walking away, the Holy Spirit says, you're not done in Queens. I'm shifting you. And at that moment, stepping back into Times Square Church, I began to be uncomfortable with my comforts. If that makes any sense, I became uncomfortable with my comforts because I knew God was calling me out. I could have grown old there. My office overlooked Broadway. I had these beautiful open windows. I could see, I could watch the ball drop from my office. And the Lord said, you're done here. And that began a process of reconnecting with people in Queens and in Long Island City. And that began the process of me stepping down from Times Square Church, where on May 1st of 2022, my wife and I launched a new church that was birthed out of a cry that came from our soul. Hence the name, Soul Cry Church. On May 1st, we just told a few people, we're coming together to pray and worship Jesus in Queens. We're going to watch God do the rest. May 1st, 100 people showed up in a production studio room. We ordered another 50 chairs. The next Sunday, 150 people showed up. We've had a full house since day one. Last Sunday, it was standing room only. We had no more seats. People had to stand. The last eight months, we've been struggling to figure out how to maintain our growth. This coming Sunday, whether I got a voice or not, we're meeting in a local school that just opened up their doors that said, come on in. We're super excited for what God is doing. Let your yes be yes. Not my will, but your will be done. I'm going to continue to talk tonight about what it looks like when prayer changes your perspective and what it looks like when it seems hopeless and you don't see the way out of it. Prayer changes your perspective. What it looks like when you walk by faith and not by sight and you choose to take a step when you don't even see the next step. That's how you have to walk now. Prayer changes the perspective, giving you a kingdom perspective to take steps even when you don't see the step, to trust and believe that God's not done. He's ordering your steps, and you don't have to worry about the next step. Why? Because Scripture says that he's the author and the finisher of our faith. So he's not just writing your story, he has finished your story. Think about it. Your story has already been written. And praise God, because of the finished work of the cross, it's a victory story. Hey, some of you right now might be in a chapter that's really whack, uncomfortable, a bit overwhelming. Feeling a bit doubtful, 
That's okay. Do not try to rewrite the narrative that God has already finished from his throne of grace. Trust him in the process. Take this step of faith. Be all in here at Elam. Say yes to what God has for you. If it's not the ministry or the outstation that you wanted, so be it, Lord. Be all in. If you're serving in maintenance, serve in maintenance all in. If you're in the kitchen serving, serve all in. Say yes to his will. Because as you continue to take this amazing journey, as I've been taking this journey, as I turn the pages, and some pages feel hopeless, but every page is a reminder that God has the final say, and there's victory in the end. And he's still writing my story. And I'm super excited about it. And I'm going to give him my all. I'm 48 now. I'm so excited. Oh, no, I'm so sorry. This is what happens as you get older. I'm 48 in February. I did that to Dr. Fred the other day. I was like, I'm 48. Wait, wait, no, no, I'm 47. And Dr. Fred, yeah, see, that's what happens. I'm so excited for what he's going to do when I'm in my 50s. I can't wait to see what God's going to do when I'm in my 60s. I can't wait to see what God's going to do when I'm in my, se- my 70s. As long as I'm still here on earth, my, my, my heroes, my heroes are in their 80s, and they're still doing kingdom work across the world. You can't stop, Brother Paul Johansson. You can't stop, Dr. Fred. There's a great work still to be done. Stop. Stop having these panic attacks about your future. You're good. You're just getting started. Look at us. We're good. We're still standing. Nikki Cruz is still traveling all over the world. He's 87 years old. In 2021, he went to the Philippines. 14,000 people filled the stadium to hear an 86-year-old man say, I lived my life in fear. Jesus came and saved me. I learned to forgive those who wounded me deeply. Because I found out Jesus forgave me. That's his message. I got it memorized. I've traveled with him enough. I got the whole message memorized. He just stretches that for like 20 minutes. <laughs> no, he's really funny. He actually goes home. He'll have a whole sermon manuscripted. And then about 15 minutes in, he just kind of closes the folder. He just like abandons the manuscript and he just goes, My mother was a witch, my father was a warlock. I was angry and scared. I came to New York. I was angry, so I beat everybody who came in my path. And then Jesus came. He saved me from myself. I learned to forgive. And then he goes, don't be a chicken. Don't be a chicken. And he'll go, you give your life to Jesus now. And then hundreds just come forward. That has nothing to do with eloquence of speech. The Apostle Paul said it. It's not my speech. It's not my verbiage. It's it's not the gift that I have to work doctrine and theology. It's just Christ glorified. Jesus to finish work of the cross. Would you stand up with me? Help us, Lord, not to complicate the beauty of the cross. Help us, Lord God, to boldly surrender our plans, our ideas, Help us to surrender our gifts, 
our talent before you. All those things are better in your hands. So remove them from us. Lord, we say yes now with open hands and surrender to you. Holy Spirit, come. Give us a new perspective. Help us to walk by faith now and not by sight. The journey is long. The journey is long. The war that wages sometimes in our mind makes it feel longer. So God, I'm asking that you would renew the minds of my brothers and sisters this morning. Renewed minds. Renewed minds. No longer I that live, but Christ that lives inside of me. No longer I that live. We die to this flesh. We pick up the cross. And we follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.